if you brought your Bible with you this morning, will you hold up the Word of God? And uh, let's take our Bibles down, if you will, and open them to the Old Testament, to the book of Judges, chapter 17 this morning. Judges, chapter 17, page number 307, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And I want to read, if you'll bear with me for a moment, I'd like to read this whole chapter. And there's only 13 verses. It won't take long. But then I want to go back and just maybe pull out two or three things from this chapter and preach on this 4th of July Sunday morning. And I'm again so glad you're with us. I want to encourage you to come back again tonight. Uh, we'll have you out plenty of time to go watch the fireworks and eat a bologna sandwich and fried apple pie and go home, sleep like a baby, cry all night long. And uh, so it'll be good. I hope you'll be back again this afternoon at 5.05 for prayer room, 5.30 for the service. And we're looking forward to having a good time together in God's house. Thank you again for coming to be with us this morning. Judges chapter 17, if you're there, would you say amen? I want you to look this way, if you will. I read this week uh, a little article, and the article was entitled, The Top Ten Perks of Getting Old. The Top Ten Perks of Getting Old. So it counted them down, starting with number 10 all the way to number 1. Number 10, top 10 perk, getting old. Number 1, your secrets are safe with your friends because they cannot remember them. That's a good one. Number 9. When it comes to the, wedding, uh, the weather, your joints are more accurate than the National Weather Service. Number eight, kidnappers are no longer interested in you. Number seven, you're likely to be the first one to be released in a hostage situation. Number six, the things you buy now won't wear out. You will before they will. Number five, you're no, lo you no longer sag because you've eaten enough till all the wrinkles have now filled out. Number four, you, this is my favorite one, number four. You get your exercise by being the pallbearer at the funerals for your friends who exercised. <laughs> That's a good one. Number three, you enjoy hearing about other people's opera operations. That's a good one. You ever notice when you're kids, you never talk about, but when you get old, you know, well, are you on Coumadin? No, I'm not. I'm on Zarephath. You are. Did you have your colon taken out too? I mean, it's all about whatever. Okay, you move on. Number, number two, you no longer have to lie about your age. Now you brag about it. And number one, top ten perk of getting old is this. Your memory is not as sharp as it used to be. Also, your memory is not as sharp as it <laughs> Okay, moving on. Well, if you think you're getting old, guess what? Today, our nation is turning 245 years old. I doubt there's anybody in here that is as, uh, that is as old as America is. 245 years ago today, we signed the Declaration of Independence, set, set, uh, uh, signifying the fact that we were telling England we were declaring our independence from them. In essence, we were telling them we're going to go it alone. And yet today, as we celebrate our 245th birthday, I'm afraid that our age has affected our memory. I'm afraid that our memory is not what it used to be. 
We're like the elderly man and woman that I heard about that were traveling across the country on vacation. And they stopped by this little roadside restaurant to get a bite to eat. Then after they got out back in their car and went down the road for a, a considerable journey, the wife discovered that she had left her glasses back at the, the restaurant. They would have to turn around and go back and get them. Well, it was another great distance away before they finally found an exit where they could get back on the other side of the highway. And boy, all the way back to the restaurant, her husband was just giving her down in the country. I mean, just fussing and fussing that she had forgot her glasses. Well, when they finally got back to the restaurant, pulled in the uh, driveway in the parking lot, and as she started to get out the door, he said, well, as long as you're in there, you might as well go ahead and grab my hat as well. <laughs> as we prepare to celebrate our birthday today, we have forgotten the reason behind who we are and what we are. We have forgotten God. You know, one of the great questions that is often asked when it comes to Bible prophecy is this one. Is America anywhere mentioned in Bible prophecy? Well, having read the Bible a number of times, I can honestly say, maybe somebody much wiser than me, but I can honestly say that I've never found an indication of America anywhere in future Bible prophecy. But although America may not be prophesied in the Bible, I can certainly say that America is pictured in the Bible. Because you see, in so many ways, the nation of Israel in Bible days is nothing but a picture of our nation, America, in the last days. You see, when we read in the Bible and we read about the founding of the nation of Israel and the, and the faith of the nation of Israel, and then we read about the failure of the nation of Israel and the fall of the nation of Israel, you can't help but get a picture of what is going on in our own beloved nation this morning. Now, before I read my text and even get into the message this morning, I, I want it to be clearly understood that I do not hate America. I'm not some kind of a Jeremiah Wright that's standing up here blasting America. I love our nation. I thank God for the United States of America. I was watching yesterday on Fox News and they had this little segment about where this college student went out and just did like a little interview on the street corners. People were walking back and forth up and down the streets. And she stopped people and she asked them four questions about America. And here were her four questions. And by the way, everybody that they showed on the little video clip was a young American. I'm talking about in the 20s, somewhere around that age. And God help us with these millennial age in America. God just have mercy upon the millennials is all I got to say. But she asked these 20-year-old these, these people four questions questions. Number one, the question was, are you proud to be an American? And the overall resounding answer was no. We're actually ashamed to be Americans. Question number two is, do you think America is the greatest country on the on the earth. And again, the answer was a resounding no from each person that was asked that question. Number three, the question was asked, would you give up your American citizenship? And the answer was an over-resounding yes. Yes, I would get what's it done for me. Yes, I would give up my American citizenship. And then question number four was kind of like a hit right between the eyes. And the question number four was this, then what country would you want to live in? And did you know not one of them who said that they were ashamed to be an American. Not one of them who said, I would freely give up my American citizenship. Not one of them who said that they don't think America is the greatest country. Not one of them could produce an answer of another country that they would want to live in. 
Now, can I just stop and say this? Number one, I am so thankful for the new birth. I'm so glad to be a child of God this morning. I'm glad I got saved when I was 16 years old. And though I start, already started to get in a little bit of trouble, it, got, it, it wasn't near as bad as it could have been because God, by His mercy and His grace, saved me when I was 16 years old and changed my life. And, turned, and because of that, I don't have a lot of scars and a lot of bad memories like some of y'all have to deal with. I'm so glad to be a blood-washed, born-again, Bible-believing, Holy Spirit, indwelt child of God. It's good to be saved this morning. I'm glad to be saved. But following right on the heels of that, can I just say this? I'm glad to be an American this morning. I'm glad to be a red-blooded, Bible-believing, gun-carrying, thank God, flag-waving an American this morning. I'm not protesting against our nation. I'm not at all interested in burning stores and killing police officers. I'm not about to turn my back on the national anthem when it's played. It still gives me goosebumps. I'm not embarrassed when old glory passes by. I'm glad this morning. I'm thankful to be a born-again child of God born in the United States of America. I could have been born in Africa. I could have been worshiping totem poles. My mama could have fed my brothers and sisters and uh, to crocodiles. I'll think about that one. I may have been glad. I don't know about it. But anyway, I could have been born over there and all that mess, but God in his grace and his divine providence let me be born right here in the United States. God blessed America right here in North Carolina in the buckle of the Bible Belt where I could hear about Jesus and get saved by the grace of God. I got no sad reports. I'm glad to be an American. But I got to say, I'm grieved over the direction that we're heading in. You know, as we turned the 21st century and came into the, two the years of the 2000s, uh, you know, the first couple of years of the 21st century, I think we were in what we could call maybe a moral crisis. You know, we were, we were losing our way. We were beginning to question a lot of stuff and and we were starting to stamp our approval on a lot of stuff that was just totally anti-God and anti-Bible because we were in a moral crisis. And yet now, 21 years into this brand new millennial, I don't think we're no longer in a moral crisis. I think we're now more in a moral collapse. We have completely lost our way. We have forgot the God that has made us who and what we are. I'm telling you, we've lost, we've lost the ability to think right and to reason right. And most of all, we've lost our ability and our dependability upon the Word of God to govern us and to shoot us down the right path. We are in trouble. And this morning, I ask you to join me in the book of Judges chapter 17 because in this chapter, we get a reflection of where we are at in America. In fact, this morning, I'm preaching on this subject right here, America in a mirror. Because as we look into this text this morning, we don't like what we see. As we look in this text, we shake our heads about what we read. And yet we get a reflection of where we're at as a nation in America this morning. Bear with me for just a moment. Look at verse 1. And there was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said, Micah said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou curseth, and spakest of in mine ears. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. 
And when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now therefore I will restore it unto thee. Yet he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the founder who made thereof a graven image and, and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a house of God's little g, God's, and made an ephod and a teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which right in his own eyes. And there was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. And he came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, as he journeyed. And Micah said unto him, Which comest thou? And he said, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah. I go to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest. And I'll give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, and a suit of apparel, and thy victuals. So the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man was unto him as one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. Then said Micah, Now I know that the Lord will do me good, seeing... I have a Levite to my priest. Now, I know reading that, you're probably scratching your head sitting there thinking, Preacher, I thought you said this is a picture of America. I don't get it. Well, can I just go back through these verses for just a few moments this morning and kind of offer up an explanation of what this text is all about and how it relates to America. In fact, as I look at this text this morning, I see three problems in this text. And I want to say this morning what I would call the three greatest problems of America. So let's talk about these problems. First of all, in this text, number one, I see the problem of this, of a family without a foundation. A family without a foundation. Now, we're introduced to this family in verse number one. We're never told what his mother's, mother's name is, but we know the son's name was Micah. Now, that's an indication that there's a little bit of a knowledge of God in this home because the name Micah means this, who is like unto the Lord? Who is like unto the Lord? So here's a mama that gave her boy, mama and a daddy, who gave her boy this name, Micah, who is like unto the Lord. Then we read a little bit further that this woman had saved up 11 hundred shekels of silver. Now let me tell you something, that was quite an undertaking back in those days because when we read through the book of Judges, we find out these were very difficult and very hard times. In the book of Judges, we read of things like famines and wars and droughts and captivities. It was hard times, but this woman must have been very frugal because she has accumulated, she has saved 1,100 shekels of silver. But then we read in verse number 2 that this, this, uh, this uh, amount of silver has been stolen. And when we read in verse number 2 that this amount of shekels had been stolen from her, she started cursing about it. In verse number 2 in the little phrase, uh, the Bible said, about which thou cursest. So, I mean, she was so mad, she just started cussing, went into a fit, started cussing when she found out that her silver had been stolen. 
yelling. Well, when this boy, her son, Micah, hears his mama cussing and going off in a rant about all this, no doubt he gets a little bit afraid, and he finally owns up in verse number 2 toward the end there, and he says, Mama, I just got to come clean. My conscience is really bothering me. I just want to get this right. I just want to tell you, you're going to find out eventually, I took the money. I took your silver. Well, in verse number 2, she says, Well, blessed be thou the Lord, my son. I mean, one minute she's cussing. The next minute, she's blessing the Lord. Sound familiar? Then we come to verse number 3, and she said, and this again sounds good. Verse number 3, she said, son, what you don't know is I took all that silver. Man, I done dedicated that to the Lord. I was going to just use that for the glory of God. And then a little bit later in verse number 3, she takes some of that money, that silver, and she gives it to the silversmith, and he in turn makes a graven image, a molten image, a false god out of it. And the Bible said they carry it to the house of Micah in verse number 5, and he places it there on a shelf among the many gods that he's worshiping. Now, can you look right here for just a minute? Let me tell you, the one word that comes to my mind as I you know, kind of repeat that story is this. That's confusion, ain't it? That's a mess. That's chaos. I mean, what we got here in this story uh, is, a, is, a, is a bunch of wrongdoing going on. There's confusion. Listen, there's, there's coveting, there's stealing, there's lying, there's cursing, there's no discipline, there's idolatry thrown in with a little bit of worship on Sunday morning. Don't that sound like the, the families of our nation today? I mean, man, there's coveting and stealing and lying and cursing. There's no limits, no boundaries been drawn, and there's idolatry. But hey, let's go to church on Sunday morning and worship God just a little bit. The word that comes to my mind out of all of that is just outright confusion and outright chaos. And buddy, what a, what a mess we've got going on in this family. As I said just a moment ago, one moment this mother is cursing and the next moment she is blessing. One moment there's absolutely no discipline whatsoever. You don't find her disciplining this boy for taking this silver from her, from stealing it. In fact, all she does is want to bless him for bringing it back. In just a moment, a little bit later in this chapter, she's taking this silver. She said it belongs to God and yet she takes it and she makes her a false little God out of it. And then uh, the next moment we read about this God being placed in the house of Micah among the many gods that he is a worshiper. Can I just stop and say this? Boy, that sounds so much like American families in our day. There's so much chaos, so much confusion. There's no boundaries anymore. There's no lines drawn. There's no limits given today. There's so much blessing one moment, cursing the next moment. Hey, but let's run over to church on Sunday morning and worship a little bit. Can I tell you something? That is totally unright, un, un, uh, not to justified in the sight of God. We are in a mess with these families that have no foundations under them. You know something, just to be honest with you, I was reading this this week and I got to thinking, she should have disciplined. You know, children need some discipline in their life. 
When they do wrong, they've got to understand there are consequences to their doing wrong. I mean, that's just a fact of life. You can't go out here and flaunt the law and not expect some consequences to come about in your life. And she teaches this boy no consequences to his wrongdoing whatsoever. There's no discipline anymore in the families of our nation. I read this little poem that goes something like this. Mommy won't tell Johnny no. She wants him to be free to grow. Johnny screams and gets his way. Mommy says, that's okay. Johnny thinks he runs the show. Mommy would never tell him no. When he misbehaves, she shuts her eyes. He's just hyper, she justifies. Now Johnny has grown and in some trouble. He has burst his mother's foolish bubble. She never gave him consequences, so now he's got a prison sentence. Hey, where is the discipline? Hey, where is the worship in our home, the true worship? We're confused about which God we're going to worship. I mean, we don't even know the true and living God anymore. We place one God among many gods. I'm telling you, we got families that have no foundations in America anymore. There is outright chaos and confusion in the home anymore. Can I have an amen? Families without foundations. By the way, I think the devil has done a great job at destroying our country. But the way that he's done it is he's gone through the families to do it. Let me explain that. I'll explain further in a moment. But what is the United States of America? If somebody were to ask you, define the United States of America, I'd say, well, it's a collection of 50 individual states. The United States of America. What is America? Well, it's 50 states. Well, what is a state? Well, a state is a, is, a, is a place that's made up of a bunch of counties. In the state of North Carolina, we have 100 different counties in the state of North Carolina. So uh, the United States is a bunch of states made up of a bunch of counties. But what's counties? Well, counties are like towns and cities and communities and villages. Well, what is a town and a city and a community and a village? Well, oh, that's, that's where people live at. That's where families reside. So it stands to reason then this. If we can get the family, we've got the towns, the cities, the communities, and the villages. Well, if we got the towns, the cities, the communities, and the villages, then we got the counties. Well, if we got the counties, we got the states. Well, if we got the states, we got the nation. But it all started with a breakdown in the family. There's chaos. There's confusion. By the way, Dad's not even mentioned in the text. Now, he could have died. Let's hand it to him. Maybe he died. But then maybe again, like so many dads do in our day, they just take off with the first flus that comes along and leaves that mom as a single mom trying to raise those kids. Amen. I'm telling you, families are in a mess today. Families without foundation. What's wrong with America? I'll tell you what's wrong. We got families. There's no limits. There's no borders. We bless one minute. We curse the next minute. There's no discipline. Uh, we, we worship God among many gods in our land. We have families that have no foundations. And the psalmist said, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Amen. Families without foundations. But this leads me to a second problem in this text. Because not only is the problem of America the problem of families without foundations, but number two, the second problem of America is this, pastors without principles. Now hang on for just a minute. Let me preach to me just a minute. All right? 
I'm going to wind up preaching about something else here in just a second. But the problem is not only do we have families that, that have no idea what's going on anymore, they have no structure. There, there's, no, there's no inkling of God, the Bible. We've totally disregarded all that, set all that down. And look at the mess that we're in today. I'm telling you, it used to be if you were in church, if you were in church and you were trying to live for God, I mean, you were pretty much insulated and isolated from all the wickedness and the ungodliness going on. But I'm telling you, that mess out there has come in here. Welcome to the new norm. The church is full of chaos and confusion. There's no limits. There's no boundaries. I mean, we don't know which God we're going to worship. We're blessing one moment, cussing the next moment. We are in a mess. Amen. Amen. Families without foundations. Now we got pastors without principles. Let me show you what happens in this text. So he takes this God made out of this stolen money that he's given back and he places it in his house among the many gods that he has. And then we come to verse 7. He goes out now. He's got him a house of gods, but he realizes he needs a pastor. So in verse 7, he goes on, a, he forms a pastor search committee. And he goes out now looking for a pastor to pastor his house of gods. So in verse 7, the Bible said he meets this young man out of Bethlehem, Judah. And the Bible said in verse 7 that he was a Levite. And he sojourned there. So the Bible tells us this. This young man comes up. He's just walking, trying. He's hunting him a place to land. He isn't satisfied. Now, we know from our Old Testament history that God has already given the Levites a place and God has already taken care of their meals and provision because God provided uh, the 48 cities of refuge for these Levites to live in. And then he provided the tithes of God's people to be brought to the house of God to feed this crowd to take care of those people that took care of the house of God. Levites would be the equivalent of the pastors of our day. They, they, they took care of things around the house of God. Uh, they taught the word of God. They... Uh, uh, they, 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 they oversaw the worship of God. So here's this old boy. He's left his God-appointed place, his God-given place, and he's just walking around, and he's looking for a place to land. And the Bible said he's approached by old Micah, and he said, you know something? We, we don't have a pastor. We got a house of gods over there, and, and we don't have a pastor, and, and we're looking for a pastor. Would you be interested in coming to be our pastor? And by the way, if you'll look at verse number 10, he said, if you'll come over here to be our pastor, we're going to make it worth your while. We're going to give you uh, some, some silver. We're going to give you a suit. And we're going to take care of all of your supplies. Whatever you need is going to be taken care of if you'll just become our pastor. Well, in verse number 11, the Bible said the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man was unto him as one of his sons. So he become this Levite who knows the word of God, who knows there's only one true and living God. There's not many gods. There's one God, but he goes, he lets down his standards, he, uh, he compromises, and he goes to be a pastor of a house of many gods. Why is he doing it? I'll tell you why. For some silver, for a suit, and for some, for some supplies. I mean, this man, all he cares about evidently is just taking care of his own needs. He don't care anything about teaching the true word of God, any responsibility to God himself. All he's looking out for is himself. Now, there's a Bible word for that, and that's a hireling. This old boy has been hired, and, and that's what he is. In fact, if you look over chapter 18 and verse number 4, the Bible said in the last phrase, he says this, He hath hired me, and I am his priest. 
Can I tell you something? There's a lot of preachers standing behind pulpits all across America this morning, and they're there for one reason and one reason only, a suit, some silver, and some supplies. They're, all they want to do is tell people what they want to hear. They want to try to appease people. They want to try to gain the approval of man. They don't want to ruffle any feathers. They don't want to make anybody mad. They don't want to preach anything that might rub, uh, go against the rub of society. They just want everybody to feel good. They want to stroke everybody's ego, ego as they strut their way straight to hell. They want to make everybody feel good about things, and they're not at all interested in being the man of God that God called them to be. And a lot of the trouble in America can be laid right here at the, full, at, the, at the feet of the pulpit of the church because we got a bunch of compromisers in America. All they're interested in is some silver and a suit and some supplies. I'm telling you the problem, what's wrong with America? We got families that have no foundations. We got pastors that have no principles. In fact, and I won't take time to preach this, but over in chapter 18, a bunch of people in verse number one from the tribe of Dan. Now listen, see if this don't sound like America. I'm putting this in American language. So some thugs from the tribe of Dan. They've been over here, and here's this place that God has given them. This is their lot, their inheritance. But they don't want to work for what God's given them. So they go over here and they spy out this other little country over here, this other little community that has worked hard and labored and fought wars and gained this little piece of property. And these Danites don't want to fight. They don't want to work. But they're, they're not too proud to take what somebody else has worked for, to take what somebody else has labored for, to take what somebody else has fought for. They're willing to do that. Hey, sound familiar? In America, don't that sound familiar? There's a crowd over here, bless God, they won't lift a finger to work. They won't lift a finger to fight. They won't lift a finger to, to, to labor and to get stuff honestly, but they don't mind going over here because they're entitled to it. They want to go over here and take what somebody else has labored and somebody else has fought, what somebody else has sweated and perspired and bled over. They don't mind taking that. They just don't want to work for their own. Bless your heart, if you won't work, you ought not eat, you lazy thing, you. Hey, there's enough jobs in America there's a job, there's a job uh, wanted, uh, people wanted sign on every corner. I'm telling you, there's enough job to go around for every American that wants a job. And bless your heart, if you're too lazy to go out and work, and you can work, I'm telling you, you're sorry and gully dirt. You ought to wiggle your way up here to this altar and get right with God, friend. Amen. I am for it if somebody's disabled. If they, if they can't work anymore, let's help them. Let's love them. Let's give them what they need. Let's buy groceries, pay their power bill. Let's do that to help. But bless God, if you can't work and you won't work, starve. I ain't hunting a place to preach. I got one. At least I did a few minutes ago. I'm just trying to tell you, we got, and you know what that, they went over to this priest. Look in verse number, uh, uh, verse number five. So these bunch of thugs go up to the man of God, the priest, the preacher, the pastor, and they say, hey, this is what we're thinking about doing. What do you think we ought to do about it? And that man of God, his eyeballs should have bulged out. Veins should have popped out on the side of his neck. That white stuff ought to start running down to his mouth. He ought to got to hacking. 
And he ought to have said, you low-down, uh, ungodly, uh, bunch of low-down reprobates. Uh, you ain't going to go over there and take what don't belong to you. You get back over there and fight for what God's given you. But you know what he said. Look at verse 6. Go in peace. The Lord is in your way. Preachers that won't take a stand and preach against anything anymore. Just let everything go on. Everything's fine. It's all peachy keen. I love you. You love me. We're one great big family. I tell you, bless your heart, I wasn't cut out of that mold. I wasn't saved like that. I wasn't brought up like that. And bless your heart, as long as I got breath in, in these lungs of mine, I just want to say there's still some things that are wrong. There's still some things that are right. There's still some things that are black. There's some things that's white. It's not all gray. There's truth. There's lie. And friend, there's a dividing line. And it's, if it's still right, if it was right, according to that book, it's still right today. And if it was wrong back in the last century or the century before that, and that book says it's wrong, it's still wrong today. I don't care what Holly thinks about it or a cancel culture or a president or a koala or anybody else if it's wrong it's wrong friend never has been right never will be right and we got a bunch of lacy drawered lily livered scared preachers that won't get up in the pulpit and stand up and preach anymore with their eyes of fire because they've been in the presence of God I'm here to tell you God have mercy upon our land because we got pastors that have no principles just do whatever you want to do if it makes you feel good amen or no way not here if it's wrong, it's still wrong. Still wrong. Come back tonight, I'll tell you some more about that. Hey, can I tell you this? Oh, Alex de Tocqueville. If I were to mention his name, some of you heard of him before. He is a French diplomat, but he's more importantly, he's a French historian. Years ago, centuries ago, he came to America. And he was wanting to seek and find what is the greatness? How did this country that started from nothing. How did, it, how did it become so great overnight? And here's what he said, and I quote, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness of America in her fertile fields and boundless forests, but it was not there. I sought for the greatness of America in her rich mines and her vast world of commerce, but it was not there. I sought for the greatness of America in her democratic Congress and her matchless constitution, but it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and her power. America is great because America is good. If America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. A Baptist preacher didn't say that. A French historian said the greatness of America, I found it when I went into her churches and heard some old leather-lunged preacher back behind the pulpit with his eyes afire with righteousness, standing up declaring the Word of God. That was the greatness of her genius and her power. What have we got today? Contrast that. Where are the pastors with principles? 
Where are the pulpits that are aflamed with righteousness? Oh, I'll tell you, the problem with America is we got families without foundations. Watch this now. We got pastors without principles. And then number three, we got government without God. Look again at verse 6, Judges 17, verse number 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes. You know, the one thing that we know about the book of Judges is that there were never, there were never any really true godly leaders. It seemed like every, even in the days of the Judges, all of them had problems and flaws and struggles and weaknesses. There was no really, no real leaders. And the Bible said that every man just went about in chaos and confusion because government had divorced itself from God. You know what's sad about our nation today is our nation, our government has, is, and seems been on divorcing itself from God. Now, I know there are Republicans in here, and they're in the, I know there are Democrats. And I just want to tell you, if, 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 I don't even want to rant here, but I just want to tell you, man, I wouldn't turn around, bless God, they're, they're both corrupt. Now, don't get mad at me. If you do, come up to me after church, apologize, I forgive you. But I tell you, the, the whole, whole outfit up there, I happen to be, I'm, I'm a Republican. I vote, vote, vote Republican. That's just my, that's how, my conviction, that's what I do. I, you do what you want to do. But I, I would turn around for the difference in hardly any of them. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, our nation is turning away from God. The United States was founded by godly people on godly principles for a godly purpose. If you go to Washington, D.C. today, our nation's capital, the one thing you'll find is the Bible's all over the place. There are 50 references, listen to this, 50 references in the Supreme Court to the Ten Commandments. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought when President Trump put all those conservatives on the Supreme Court, I thought, man, we're going to turn some things around. Boy, have I been sadly disappointed. How many times has that crowd that he's put on, we've got the majority now. It seems like when we get the majority over anything, it seems like to me we're afraid of what the minority is going to say about us. So we just, we want to reach across the aisle and shake hands with a bunch of devils and try to get along with everybody. And yet when they get in, they don't give a flip about what everybody else thinks. They just run over us. Hey, amen. 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 I'm telling you, we're in a mess. Our nation founded for a godly, by godly people Patrick Henry said this, it cannot be emphasized too much or repeated too strongly that America was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not upon religions, but upon the gospel. Of Our founding forefather said that. And bless God, we got a president today that can't even go to the Catholic church and take communion because he believes in killing little babies. Isn't it a sight that the Catholics got more, con more convictions than the Baptist does today? At least they won't let the president come over and take communion because he don't go along with their, their dogma, their doctrine. And yet anybody can come to Baptist church and, and tell you, you can cuss and run around, commit adultery and lay around, sing country and rock music, do anything you want to do. But come over here. You can do anything you want to do in the Baptist church. It's a sight when the Catholics got more convictions than the Baptist does. You're welcome. We're in a mess. What happened? What happened to preaching? What happened to the... Listen to this. George Washington, the first president of our country, when he took official, the official oath of office, 
lean down and kiss the pages of the Word of God. Listen now, he wasn't done. He kissed the pages of the Word of God, and then in his first official act as president, he took the entire Senate and Congress to church for a worship service that lasted two hours. Amen and amen. And then he said this, No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand that conducts the affairs of nations more than the people of the United States. He went on to say, Every step that we have taken has been distinguished by some token of providential agent. In other words, what he's saying, you cannot look at what happened here in this land without saying, God did this. And can I just say, God did this. And yet our government today, deifying man, justifying sin, glorifying perversion, dignifying abortion, legalizing gambling, magnifying evil, minimizing the Bible, nullifying God. We have become a nation that permits, promotes, and prefers evil. That which used to slink up the back alley is marching down Main Street with a bless God rainbow flag and you better not say anything against it because brother, you're in trouble if you do. Well bless the Lord, I want to tell you something. If I have to go to jail, I'm going to go to jail. But I'm going to keep preaching that book right there and standing where I've always stood. And if I got to go to jail, hey, hey, y'all come bake me a chocolate cake and put me a file in it and I'll get myself out of there. <laughs> have we lost our moral compass in America? We have got government without God. We are in a mess. I'm done. I got a, my favorite thing I read this week. I share it with you. And here's what it said. How many of y'all remember Storman Norman Schwarzkopf? Remember him? He was the leader of military operations during De Desert Storm. Desert Shield, Desert Storm. He was the kind of the overseer of all that. And he was doing a press conference one day. And somebody asked him, what are we going to do with Osama bin Laden? Can we forgive him? And Storman Norman Schwarzkopf, this is before he, got, before he died. I'm talking about Obama before o Obama. Well, Obama and Osama. Turn around for the dip. Whatever, you figure that out. And so Norman Schwartz, what are we going to do? Can, what are we going to do with Osama bin Laden? Can we forgive him? And Stormin Norman Schwarzkopf said this: It's God's job. It's up to God to forgive him. It's our job to arrange the meeting. <laughs> and until we get some of that kind of an attitude back behind that pulpit right there. And just start preaching the Word of God again and let the chips fall where it may. Our country's going down the tubes. I don't know what we're going to do. God's people have got to pray. Amen. It's up to God to forgive him. It's our job to arrange the meeting. You know what that tells me? He drunk about half a gallon of don't care before he went to that, that meeting that day. And that's what we need in America. We're sitting in our churches silently while this stinking crowd has took our country to depths of, 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 cess, of cesspool life that we've never seen before. somebody got to stand up and say something. And don't worry about the backlash. Just say it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Bible, the Word of God.